and welcome to a special Best Best Sellers edition of The Worst Best Sellers, where we read an 800-page biography of Alexander Hamilton and strongly recommend you do the same. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And in case you haven't noticed over the past few episodes, we've become completely obsessed with the new musical Hamilton, um, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, about the life of Alexander Hamilton. Uh, it's based on a biography by Ron Chernow, an 800-page, just historical biography about Alexander Hamilton's life that Lynn picked up for beach treating and decided needed to be a hip-hop musical. As one does. <laughs> yes. We've been talking about this book a lot in our past episodes, and as we started our end-of-year review, we thought that it might be a good idea to do a special episode all about Hamilton instead of just spending three hours in the middle of our end-of-year review talking about Hamilton. Yeah, because we acknowledge that there are, like, two or three people in the world who aren't obsessed with Hamilton yet, and so we're afraid that we're starting to annoy those people. Although, so far, we have not actually heard any negative feedback about all our Hamilton talk. But just in case, we thought we would try to quarantine some of it off here in this little bonus episode. I called it little. It's probably going to be like seven hours long. Um, it's true. But we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, and this was partially inspired when uh, Sophie from Two Bossy Dames who is our guest for this episode, informed us that when she was Googling for Hamilton Reader's Advisory, four of the top five results were worst bestsellers Reader's Advisory pages, which is, you know, touching and charming to us until you think about the fact that we are recommending Hamilton as a joke in all of those uh, pages. Well, hold on, Kate. Hold on, Kate. It's not as a joke. It's a very serious recommendation, <laughs> yes. but it's not the list that is coming up on are not going to be useful sort of for somebody who wants a good read-alike to Hamilton, because our thesis is just that Hamilton, the musical, is a good listen-alike to literally anything. Yes. So exactly. we're trying to counteract that by putting out this episode and this list that is specifically geared to Hamilton, the musical, and Alexander Hamilton, the biography. And joining us to help with that is Sophie, who, as Kate mentioned, is a bossy dame, who is so pleased to see her long-term crush on America's foxiest founding father grow into a shared experience with many other listeners and readers. Hello, hey, Sophie. Guys. Hello. How are you? Doing good. You might remember Sophie from very recently, our Purity episode, uh, or just from Two Bossy Dames, or just from the internet. <laughs> but in if case not, here she is. <laughs> if you listen to the Purity episode, I hope you've recovered. <laughs> I hope I hope Renata and Kate have recovered. Oh, sure, just sure. <laughs> so I started reading this biography um, around the same time that Renata and a bunch of other people on the internet did. And I was really shocked because I was obsessed with Hamilton the musical and it made me want to learn more about Hamilton the person and uh, the circumstances surrounding his life. But I don't read a lot of adult books and I definitely don't read a lot of adult nonfiction. And I was shocked at how readable and engaging this book was. I there were no parts where I kind of like glazed over even when he was getting into the nitty gritty of financial policies. Uh, it was written in a very engaging style. 
And I, I will admit, I am not quite done with it yet because my reading time has kind of shrunk over the past couple months and I've had to read podcast books in between reading it. But it's not because it's boring. It's more because it's 800 pages long and I have other things that I need to do with my life. Do you? <laughs> Kate, you I mean, really should examine your priorities. I mean, <laughs> although I don't have any room to talk because let me just check what page I'm on right now. Um, yeah, I'm on page 513. And like, I'm not a super fast reader. And also I'm reading a lot of other things. So yeah, I read like 10 to 20 pages a day. And like you, I'm super impressed by how briskly paced it is. Like, obviously, this is the work of years and years and years of research. But he manages to synthesize and distill things into this really crisp prose which occasionally veers off into like hilarious overstatements. Oh my god! <laughs> or just which like catty, catty call like, outs. Yes. Oh my he's god! So sassy. <laughs> the dragging that he subjects Thomas Jefferson to in this book is exquisite. Yes. One of my favorite things I have read all year. <laughs> I wish that if if Shade Court on Jezebel had not been permanently adjourned, I feel like he would be a very good judge for it. <laughs> By the way, I didn't get a chance to humble brag that I finished the book um, because I got it from the library and I had to get it back before the due date. Uh Well, you you inspire us. So I I don't want to give you guys spoilers for the ending, but (laughs) it doesn't go great. uh, Renata actually also started the ham bio hashtag, which is if you're listening to this and you've not seen it on Twitter, it's sort of a spread out long term Hamilton biography book club that uh, as people are reading it, they're hashtagging their observations. And if you're me, hilarious screenshots mm-hmm. from the book uh, Ham Bio. So you can kind of like look through and see where other people are and what parts they liked and, you know, get an overview if you're not sure that you really want to read it, which as we have said multiple times now, we really think you should. Right. Hilariously, I started ha- using a hashtag ham bio. I was like, oh, I'm going to be talking about this a lot. So you might want to mute this if you don't care about Alexander Hamilton. But it turns out basically everybody does care about Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> Thank goodness. This is one of those things where mainstream culture is definitely getting it right. There's no question. It's been really interesting, too, because... So for those of you who are listening who either somehow have lived in a hole for the past several months and have not heard anything about Hamilton so far, or those of you who have gotten into Hamilton but haven't dug too deeply yet, uh, this is like a six-year labor of love from Lin-Manuel Miranda, who has previously written the Broadway musical In the Heights, which won a boatload of Tony Awards. Mm -hmm. In the Heights was a very personal story to Lin about... Uh, essentially his childhood growing up in Washington Heights that he wrote specifically because there are not a lot of great roles out there for Latinos. And if he wanted to keep acting in musical theater, then he needed to create some roles for Latinos. So he wrote In the Heights and it went on to major acclaim. And while he was on vacation, During the run of In the Heights, as we said earlier, he read the Alexander Hamilton biography as beach reading, decided to write a musical about it. Actually, no, let's let's talk for a minute about how 
when he started reading it and thought that it should be a hip hop musical, his first reaction was, oh, somebody's already done this. Obviously, <laughs> someone has already written a hip hop musical about Alexander Hamilton. And he could not believe that no one had already done it. So that's the type of person that we're talking about here. <laughs> Bless him. Bless him every day. Agreed. Agreed. So as we said, he worked on it for six years. Originally, it started off, it was just going to be the Hamilton mixtape, and it was going to be a handful of hip hop songs about Alexander Hamilton. And it grew and grew and grew and grew into this giant, crazy musical. And I peripherally, I wouldn't say that I was a huge fan of Lin-Manuel's prior to this. I was a big fan of his, but not like obsessive. I saw In the Heights. I really loved In the Heights. I followed him on Twitter because he's just a funny guy. But seeing this progress from like him performing the first song at the White House in 2009 to this gigantic cultural international phenomenon is so weird and so cool. He has he has the kind of social media presence where like I feel proud of him. I feel like I know him. I feel like I'm so happy to see this in a way that I don't necessarily feel when, like, I don't know, when Taylor Swift's album does well or whatever. I'm like, oh, actually, I kind of do feel that way about Taylor. That was a bad example. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there's there's a lot of people who maybe are very successful, and I'm just kind of like, oh, good for them. But this, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm so happy for you. By the way, just because Kate didn't mention it, I want to mention that Lin-Manuel also wrote the lyrics for Bring It On, the musical, which I think yeah. is severely underappreciated. And I would also, you know, if you are getting a little bit burned out in Hamilton one day in the future, perhaps, and you haven't listened to Bring It On, the musical, check it out. I've jumped ahead in the podcast. We'll talk about music later, but I just wanted to wrap Bring It On, the musical right now. Yeah. You can't stop me. I'm going to no. <laughs> add that. I'm going to check to see if it's on Amazon Prime right now. I want to see if it if I can stream it. If you can, it's totally worth the purchase. Yeah. All right. So that that's Hamilton. In case, if you're listening to this episode, you probably already know. Uh, if not, good for you. Kudos for you for jumping into this. The one other thing that I will add that we, we didn't actually directly address yet is that the musical, we've said, obviously, is a hip-hop musical. And all of the roles in the musical who are the actual founding fathers are played by people of color. The only white lead in the show is King George III. And everyone else is a person of color, which makes looking back at this period of time very interesting, especially as sort of reframing a lot of the issues that we still deal with today. And it's it's gotten to the point now where like if I Google an actual historical figure and I see their, you know, old white dude portrait, it's jarring to me. It's jarring that Thomas Jefferson does not look like David Diggs. Yeah, I, I look at that and I'm like, that's not historically accurate. He didn't look like that. Mm -hmm. Stop nope, whitewashing Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. Why would you do that? History. I mean, I think everyone should look like David Diggs because I possibly have a David Diggs problem. <gasps> <laughs> this is a safe place for you to talk about that. No, heterosexuality is so weird, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, as we've discussed previously, bodies are weird. Bodies are weird, all of them. <laughs> and yeah, weird things can happen. 
As usual, we will have all of these and more on our website. Um, since this is kind of a special episode, we're not going to give you an episode sum or a, um, a summary of the book slash musical because you can listen to it or you probably already have, honestly. So we're just going to assume that <laughs> you're familiar and we're going to do a lot more intensive readers slash listeners advisory than normal. That's really the focus of this episode. And so we've broken it into different categories. And the first category that we've got for you guys is Don't Be Shocked When Your History Book Mentions Me, which is narrative nonfiction and group biographies. So I'll go first. Uh, first on the list, we have Assassination Vacation by Sarah Vowell. Uh, Sarah Vowell is going to be on this list a lot because she writes a lot of really interesting current political and historical political and just historical nerdy books uh, that Renata and I are big fans of. Assassination Vacation in particular is sort of a combined narrative slash historical record of all of the presidents in the United States who have been assassinated that is told through her trips across the country to visit different sites that are relevant to those presidents and you know their assassinations and their lives and interspersed with her sort of travel log about that is information about America during that time period the assassinations themselves and uh, the lives of the historical figures it's a really good book. Her style is very funny, and all of her books are a lot of fun to read. Yeah, I love Sarah Val. She's she's Bay. I'm gonna say that <laughs> Sarah Val is Bay. Um, and as Kate mentioned, I'll be re- I'll be repping Sarah Val later. But for this section, I'm going to endorse the book Revolutionary Mothers by Carol Birkin. Uh, this is a book I read in college, so it's been a while, and it is a little bit more academic. It's not it's not funny like Sarah Vowell but it's very interesting as you can guess from the title it's about women in the Revolutionary War which is very relevant because another thing that Hamilton does well is really focus on some of the important women notably Eliza and um, Angelica Schuyler who are as you know if you've listened to Hamilton you know that they're awesome Um, And they are also a big part of the Hamilton biography as well, which is great. So this branches out, and it talks about women at all levels. Um, It it is also diverse, and it talks about women of color in the Revolutionary War. So it's a really interesting look at some people who are often left out of the historical narrative, if you will. That sounds really, really good, and I am going to look forward to reading that. Assassination, Assassination Vacation is also a top ten favorite book of mine definitely my favorite Sarah Vowell book and probably one of my favorite nonfiction books of all time so I'm psyched to see that on the list I like a couple of other books on this list but I am gonna go for Georgiana Duchess of Devonshire by Amanda Foreman she was a young lady of great good fortune um, and in fact is an ancestor of Princess Diana Um, and she was married off to the Duke of Devonshire when she was pretty young and wound up becoming a very important political figure in her own right. Like her husband was the head of the Whig party, um, which was like the more liberal party in Great Britain at the time. And she was a contemporary of 
the Skylers and Alexander Hamilton. And there was a point in the in Chernow's book that I noticed that he mentioned the guy who was the Prime Minister of England, uh, Fox, I want to say, and uh, Richard Sheridan, who was a very, very famous, um, funny dramatist of the time. And like they were all in her circle, and she was a really big leading light of um, this more liberal movement in Great Britain. Um, and I think had she not been constrained as she was socially, she would have been a much bigger political figure, um, independent of her relationship with her husband. And um, she had just a really, really interesting life. And Amanda Foreman's biography is like the Chernow book, super readable, extremely well-researched, lots of fascinating um, resonances with today's politics. And it's really interesting to think about, you know, oh, you know, she spent a lot of time in London. I wonder if she ever crossed paths with Angelica Schuyler Church. I think they would have had some really interesting conversations. Hooray. All right. Um, So we've, like I said, we'll have more of these available at worstbestsellers.com. Check out the whole page. And now we're going to move on to Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, which is uh, single biographies and memoirs, unlike some of the group biographies in the previous section. And again, I'm going to rep Sarah Vowell, and my pick is her newest book, Lafayette and the Somewhat United States, which is, of course, about uh, General Lafayette, who you remember from Hamilton. And uh, all the things that Kate said about Sarval are still true here. It's very funny. It's very readable. She is excellent at finding the underrepresented parts of history and kind of bringing them to light. So this is actually much less about Lafayette during the Revolutionary War, and it's about when he returned to the U.S. years later after the after the French Revolution, and he, he was old and everyone in the u.s just loved lafayette at this point he sort of represented all their nostalgia about the revolutionary war and so it's looking back on the revolutionary war with somewhat recent-ish nostalgia and it's great and also in for this and for all of sarah val's books i think the audiobooks are really great choices because uh she gets them as full cast audio with different hilarious comedians usually to do different voices. So Lafayette is John Slattery. Um, wait, huh. that's, that's his name, right, John? <laughs> yes. Okay, I like instantly spaced it. I was like, is that a person? Um, <laughs> Nick Offerman I, is in it as well. I think he's George Washington. So real good in short. Uh, for this section, I'm going to recommend Bad Boy by Walter Dean Myers, which is his autobiography. This is not, I mean, it's historical in that it covers his childhood and young adulthood in like the 40s and 50s, um, but it's not revolutionary historical. But as we said earlier, all of the characters in Hamilton are played by people of color. And the way that the story is really framed is sort of taking back that fight for revolution and Hamilton's specific fight of being an immigrant and an outsider and kind of framing it in the sphere of what America looks like today. And um, this book has a lot in common with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. talks a lot about his childhood, starting from elementary school and going up through um, high school and just touches on, you know, a lot of the struggles that he faced as a young black man in an era where 
for instance, uh, after high school, all of his white friends in his accelerated classes were talking about what colleges they were going to. And he didn't necessarily have that option. You know, even if he got into a college, how would he pay for it? And um, things like that. And it's a really interesting look on both race, race relations in that time period, schooling in general in that time period, and the life of a man who would go on to write some of the most meaningful books of the last 20 or 30 years for young adults. So big recommendation there. I, even though I have read a couple of other books in this section, I'm actually going to pass on this one just because I read them a really long time ago and I don't think I could speak to them as cogently as I could other books in other sections. Fair. We'll move on to our next section, Take a Break, which is fiction. Um, we'll, we'll distinguish as we describe these. Some of these are historical fiction that is set in a similar time period. Some of it's historical fiction set during a different revolution. Some of it is uh, contemporary or nearly contemporary fiction that just uh, gave us kind of a Hamilton vibe, um, maybe due to relationships between characters or maybe due to celebrating something um, culturally relevant. So it's kind of a mishmash here in this fiction section. Depending on what factor of Hamilton you are honing in on, not all of these might necessarily work for you, but something in this list will probably be a good read-alike to Hamilton for you, I would say. Definitely. So I actually have three in this section, so I'm going to keep it super brief. My first is... The Amazing Codename Verity by Elizabeth Ween. Um, and this one I would pitch as, what if A. Ham and A. Burr were actually besties and girls? <laughs> and this, I don't want to say too much because spoilers, but mm-hmm. um, this is one of my favorite books of the last five years. It is just an incredible story about friendship, an unlikely friendship. And the actual similarities between Alexander Hamilton and Julie are really kind of mind blowing (laughs) Um, between um, their looks, which is that they were both rather slight and fair haired and the incredible quickness of their minds and their total devotion to the people who they loved and to their principles. Um, Yeah, it's just, oh, it gave me so many feelings. Um, So I might need to reread that. And the audiobook for Codename Verity is also exquisite. I definitely recommend that. I'm going to co-sign that really quickly. I love that book. I will also co-sign the recommendation for Codename Verity, but I will warn you that it is at least a 10-tissue book. If, like me, you sob your way through the second half of Hamilton, I would definitely have a box of tissues nearby as you read this. Yeah, sure. like I, I nearly burst into tears just describing it to you guys just now, <laughs> and I last read it two years ago. So, yes, totally worth it. Not not emotionally manipulative in any way. Absolutely. Every tear will be earned. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. and you'll be weirdly grateful. Like, ugh, that's how good it is. <laughs> Oh, man, that book is so good. Um, My second uh, recommendation is a pair of books by Hilary Mantel, um, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies. I am very impatiently awaiting the publication of her third book in this series, which are, again, exquisitely researched historical fiction um, set in the Tudor period. They are all about the 
Life and Times of Thomas Cromwell, um, who is only similar to Alexander Hamilton in that he was a super genius who arose from no background of importance whatsoever to become a great man of his of his age. Um, I would say temperamentally, he's the opposite of Hamilton, like completely in control of his feelings at all times, or at least to the outside observer he is anyway. The books are just these incredible psychological studies of a hugely complex and up until now fairly misunderstood or unknown historical figure, and they are fascinating. And they are also, like the Hamilton biography, very funny. Like there's a lot of really great dry humor in those books. And um, she does a nice job with making Anne Boleyn a very interesting, monstrous, yet completely compelling three-dimensional female character, which I really appreciated. All right. The next recommendation, I have to temper a little bit and say I have not read this book in years. And so maybe it doesn't hold up as well as I think it does. But I read this book probably like 10 times when I was younger, at least. And it's Wolf by the Ears by Anne Rinaldi, who is kind of like she's still writing young adult historical fiction and she has been for years and as a nerdy child I loved historical fiction I read most of her books but this one was my favorite and it's about um Harriet Hemings who was one of Sally Hemings's daughters who was Thomas Jefferson's slave mistress and so she was and at the time this was written it wasn't like, totally for sure that Harriet and her siblings were Thomas Jefferson's kids, but now there's DNA evidence, and, like, she was, they were. And it's just about her life at Monticello. Monticello? Fuck. Cello. Monticello. Monticello. Okay. It's about her life at Thomas Jefferson's house. And <laughs> uh, I didn't listen to it as an audiobook, you guys. I just read it as a book. And it's really captivating i mean it's a really good way into just like how fucked up slavery in america was and particularly in thomas jefferson's case it's not it's not subtle about calling him out on this and it's about her life up until um she was freed as a as a young adult and hopefully it is still good because it is a really like, compelling, fucked-up historical story, and one that, if you read it a bunch as a child, will set you right up toward hating Thomas Jefferson in the musical. So, <laughs> so there an you go. Important, an important progression. That's right. <laughs> um, and then I'm also going to recommend No Crystal Stare by Vonda Michaud Nelson, which is it's called a documentary novel. Um, it's it's fictionalized based on truth, based on family history, in fact, about Louis Michaud, who founded the first black bookstore in Harlem. And um, she was the he was the great uncle rather of Vonda. And it's this is a book that I just really want to tell people about, because I think based on the cover, based on the description description, it's a little bit like. Oh, yeah, that could be interesting, I guess. But it's so compelling. It's so great. And I think it relates to Hamilton as a examination of, like, how empowering words and stories can be, especially for people of color. 
and the way that this bookstore functioned as a hub for um, intellectuals in Harlem is fascinating. And this book is so well done. And I just want you all to go read it, please. It actually, I almost, it it came up on my list of books that should be weeded at the library because it hasn't Mm. checked out because it is just kind of a weird concept. And I saved it and I just checked it out so I wouldn't have to weed it and I, <laughs> uh because I couldn't do it so I gotta I gotta spread the word please read no crystal stare because nobody's reading it and it's getting withdrawn from libraries and I can't handle it <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that that's a cultural crime like, yeah <laughs> that book I furiously co-sign your endorsement of no crystal stare that book is very very good and like you say, like that's a part of American history that is underrepresented, underknown, underappreciated, and I I just love Vonda Michonne Nelson. I will read anything she writes. All right, our next recommendation is from me, and if you are a longtime listener to Worst Bestsellers, it may sound <laughs> familiar. Uh, it is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Alir Sainz. I love this book. Last year, it was my favorite book that I read that year, and I cried all through telling you in our end-of-year episode why I loved it so much. Um, So instead of rehashing what the book is about, um, I'll tell you why uh, it gives me kind of a ham vibe. I I think just a lot of the sort of tensions within it of being different, not fitting in, not being Mexican, not being American trying to find your place in the world, kind of butting up against authority and what's expected of you while also trying to figure out who you are yourself. A lot of those themes come through very strongly in Hamilton, both with Alexander Hamilton's life and with the sort of racial flip casting of the musical. It also obviously features a relationship between the two main characters. Um, So if one of the things that really interests you about Alexander Hamilton's actual life is his bisexuality and his probable relationship with John Lawrence, then that's another connection for you. But really, I just think that it sort of uh, embodies the spirit of not fitting in and trying to fit in, particularly in the musical. One of a really interesting sort of comparison that I like is that in the first act, the fact that Hamilton is an immigrant is really praised and lauded and you know it's a moment that the audience cheers when he and Lafayette high five their you know ability to come to this country this adopted country and and do good for it and then in the second act that's turned on him and it becomes a pejorative thing said about him how he doesn't fit in here how he's not a true American how he's working against the government and all of this other stuff so definitely that kind of not fitting in in either world rings pretty true here. And then also, of course, the audiobook is read by Lynn manuel Miranda, so direct. Oh, yes, that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, also, I, that's also a connection. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely recommend it. You will probably cry a lot, as I'm just barely avoiding crying talking about it right now, <laughs> so... <laughs> Me too. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just finished that audiobook last week, and I think it is my favorite book that I've read this year. Oh, it's exquisite. It's so good. 
Um, our next section is called Lynn Manuel Miranda on your side. And this is things that were specifically um, endorsed or created by Lynn Manuel Miranda. So I'll let Sophie take it away. Super. Um, my pick for this section is My Name is Asher Lev by Chaim Potok, who is probably most famous for having written The Chosen. Um, which I think was made into a movie, which I never saw. Um, and he concerned himself primarily with the very orthodox or Hasidic experience in New York. And My Name is Asher Lev is a book about a young art prodigy whose parents love him dearly, but do not understand his artistic drive at all. And um, they feel that it is blasphemous. It gets him into a lot of trouble at school. Like he sort of, there's one scene where he like sort of goes into a trance when he's drawing something. And when he um, comes back to full consciousness, he realizes that what he's drawn is um, the head of his school, like the big, the main rabbi of his sect in his religious textbook, um, which is a huge no-no. And um, it's just, it's about his development as an artist and as a person. And, you know, he's really challenged in his faith and he's not sure that he belongs. And it's, that book was so powerful to me in high school. I think I wore out my copy reading it and rereading it so many times. And so I nearly jumped out of my skin when I was listening to um, an interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda um, on the New York Times podcast where he was talking about all of his influences. And he mentioned that he had, prior to starting work on Hamilton, he had optioned this novel um, for treatment as a musical. And I just thought, oh my God, like, yes, please come back to that. I, I will pay so much money <laughs> to hear you write a musical about a Hasid boy, like struggling with his faith and his artistry. Like, oh yes, so many, uh, I just can't, I can't wait for that to eventually happen. Um, I'm going to say something else that that I felt validated by in an interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is, um, okay, so there's a lot of hip-hop influences to Hamilton, obviously, that I personally did not pick up on most of them because I haven't listened to a lot of hip-hop. And so I would read all these, I read a lot of articles and, and watch the YouTube videos where people are like, oh yeah, and this is this, and this is this. But I did like immediately pick up on, oh yeah, like this is the same structure as Evita and Jesus Christ Superstar. Like this is like a pretty obvious homage in that way to those. And then I read an interview where he talked about Andrew Lloyd Webber coming to, to see Hamilton and then talking to him afterwards and Lin-Manuel having to explain to Android Weber, like, oh, yeah, see, it's like Evita. It's like Jesus Christ Superstar. And I was like, I got it. I'm on the same page. <laughs> so, and I think Evita especially is a musical that a lot of people are like, I don't like Don't Cry For Me Argentina. That song's done. Like, I'm not gonna, like, what, I don't know. I feel like Evita is underappreciated. And I feel like Evita is awesome. And the movie with Madonna as Evita is great. Like, it's cheesy, but it's great. And I think that if you have not recently or ever watched the Evita movie starring Madonna and Antonio Banderas, I'm going to say go do that. I really recommend it. Yeah, there were, um, I have to say that of all of the musical references, Hamilton, in addition to all the hip hop references, like Renata said, like the number of other musical references in it, it's jam packed with them. Like you trip over one in every song. And the one that actually made me gasp 
out loud the first time that I listened to the cast recording on NPR was the throwback to the last five years at the end of Say No to This. Like hearing Hamilton say nobody needs to know in with that tune, like I literally gasped out loud because it was so perfectly and cleverly done. Oh, it was great. (laughs) Um, I have to admit that I have never heard or seen Evita or the last five years. There's such... I, I got a lot of those hip hop references. Like that's a genre of music I love and have always loved. And I love American musical theater, but there's, I have big gaps in my knowledge there. So I have, there's, I have a lot of like remedial work I need to go back <laughs> and do. <laughs> I actually really liked the last five years movie that just came out with uh, mm. Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan. I think that it's one weakness maybe is that I felt after watching it, so the last five years uh, is a musical about a couple and it's a two person show and the male lead sings songs about their relationship in chronological order and the female lead sings them in reverse chronological order. So she starts with their divorce and mm. he starts with their first date and they only meet in the middle for the song about their wedding and it's only for a couple minutes and it's, it's a really beautiful show, and it's great, and you'll get the song stuck in your head forever. But the way that the musical is set up, you kind of come away with it not knowing whose fault the end of their relationship is. So the one warning that I'll give you for the movie is that watching the movie, I definitely felt like it was his fault. Mm. And that the movie portrayed it in that way. Um, but other than that, I, I do really think that it's worth watching, and it's a great movie. I kind of feel like it's his fault in the musical, too. But maybe that's just my inner misandrist. <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> I mean, it's like you see that there's definitely like you get it from his point of view. But I always felt like, OK, whatever. This is not last five years cast. It's Hamill cast. <laughs> um, so the, the actual thing that I wanted to talk about was In the Heights, which is um, Lynn's first show, which is just it's just a great show. It is just a solid piece of musical theater that did a lot of things, a lot of new innovative things that had not really been done on Broadway in a, I'm going to say the word marketable way. There's a lot of jukebox musicals that come up on Broadway that'll do different, will draw from different genres of music. And a lot of them fail because jukebox musicals are very hard to do well. Um, but in the Heights, you know, it brought all of these different types of music and hip hop and rap and Latin music and all sorts of things to center stage on Broadway. You know, it won a ton of awards. It gave work to a lot of really great actors and actresses who might not necessarily be the lead in any other production. And some of whom were recycled into Hamilton's cast. Yes. So yes. if you like Hamilton and haven't listened to In the Heights yet, you'll get some familiar voices coming back at yes. you. Uh, particularly Chris Jackson, who sings like an angel. Yeah. <laughs> His voice is like melted butter. It is. What an unsung hero of Hamilton he is. Mm-hmm. Unsung. Uh, I did not even intend to do that. That's how good I am. <laughs> uh, in the Heights is about um, one particular neighborhood in Washington Heights and several different stories overlapping. And they all sort of converge on the fact that Uh, A $96,000 lottery ticket has been sold from the bodega 
that's why 96,000 is a big number for Lynn. If you've ever wondered why he was so excited when he got like 96,000 followers on Twitter, that's why. Or why 32,000 is repeated three times in Hamilton because (laughs) math. Although apparently Um, that was an accident. Like he said that he didn't really intend to do that. And somebody said, oh, is that why you did that? Oh. I was like, oh, whoops, I can't do math. I guess subconsciously, yes, that is why I did that. I didn't even know it was by accident. What a Origin- genius. Yeah, I know. What he a can't genius. stop it. Like, he can't help himself. <laughs> Anyways, in the Heights, it's great. Yeah, this $96,000 lottery ticket. So all of the characters are having various issues and it kind of becomes like, well, well, if I bought the ticket, like, what would I do with this money? And it's just a really great overlapping of all of these different stories and how the neighborhood comes together and what it feels like to have expectations piled on you by your family, um, specifically when you come from an immigrant family. And it's really beautifully done. It's great. The music is amazing. You should absolutely listen to it. Agreed. And then the last, the ultimate, I guess, Lin-Manuel endorsed thing is the upcoming Hamilton book that he has announced. It's coming out in April of next year, so obviously we haven't read it yet. But I pre-ordered it. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I don't need to know anything else about it. (laughs) I also pre-ordered it. And here is even more endorsement. Um, Seven hours ago, Lin was looking at the, the proofs that came of the book and tweeted this. Some things included in the book. First G ta- chat between me and Tommy Kale about Hamilton. My Moleskina drafts of like everything. And shirtless pics of David Diggs. So. <laughs> Wait, this is this is not the main takeaway from that. But is that how you pronounce it? Because I've been saying Moleskin for all my life. Yes, actually it is. Oh my god. I also said Moleskin for like a million bazillion years. Mary Parker told me that that's how it's pronounced because I guess a Moleskina representative came to her bookstore and she found out that it's pronounced that way. But if you go on their website, they have like a whole thing about how it's pronounced that way. Oh so, my gosh. Wow. Right? My my mind is blown. We're learning so much. Yeah. Yep. But but also shirtless Davi Diggs. Right. Now yeah. back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've been seeing all that on Tumblr, so I'm like, I mean, I'm still excited for it, but it was less shocking <laughs> to me than what, Mole Skine? Yes. <laughs> I honestly yeah. don't know if I can bring myself to say that. I think I'm just going to call them <laughs> notebooks for the rest of my life. I legit, I still say Moleskin most of the time because I get into conversations like this every time I say Moleskine. It's shocking. <laughs> like, or is it shocking? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is like one time somebody tried to convince me that Lemony Snicket is pronounced Lemony Snicket. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And it's not right. Just so you know, it's Lemony, like how it looks, like how a normal person would think that it's pronounced. Right, like like the baked good that surely exists based on the name. There's got to be some kind of cookie out there that surely. is a lemony snicket. <laughs> that's how you say it, because cause it's a baked good. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. That's where he got the idea. <laughs> uh... That's always been my Daniel Handler headcanon. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I like Hamilton. Anyway, Hamilton. The next category is just going to be real quick. Uh, it's called The Other 51. 
And if you did not know that Hamilton wrote 51 of the Federalist Papers, you haven't even been listening to Hamilton, you chum. <laughs> but uh, you can read them. The Federalist Papers are still in print. I gotta say, I'm probably not a hardcore enough Hamilton fan that I'm actually gonna go out and read those. But if you're into that, they exist. I will say that I am a hardcore enough Hamilton fan that most of Hamilton's correspondence is digitized and on the internet, and we'll link to that on this post. And I did read very many of his letters to Eliza and mm-hmm. all of his letters to John Lawrence, and uh, that is also like a 10-tissue <laughs> read. <laughs> like, don't read Lawrence and Hamilton's last letters to each other unless you want to just be sad forever, and <sighs> definitely don't read his last letter to Eliza. The unalterable sentiments. Oh. Your devoted Lawrence. Oh. Or affectionate Lawrence. Whatever. It's so beautiful. All the comma porn you could ask for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, punctuation. <laughs> Our next section is called Everybody's Dancing and the Band's Top Volume. And these are books about music or musicals or both. Um, so my pick for this section is one that I have to admit I haven't read yet, but I'm totally buying myself a copy of it for Hanukkah. Um, The Rap Yearbook, the most important rap song from every year since 1979. Discussed, debated, and deconstructed by Shea Serrano. And this is another one that Lin-Manuel Miranda has endorsed. I think he tweeted something about getting it for everybody for Christmas this year. Oh, cool. And this is just so up my alley. Um, It looks incredible. I love this kind of nerdy, deep-dive musical history, social history, contextualization, list-making stuff. So, yeah, this just looks like a really important book for people who care about hip-hop and the history of late 20th century and early 21st century American music. My pick for this category is um, YA fiction called Sister Mischief by Laura Good. It's about four high school girls who are all hip-hop MCs and their friends and they work on their music together and some of them are exploring their sexuality together and it's just for me it's relevant to Hamilton because of how important hip-hop is to them and it can be kind of a good intro to that style of music or just if you already like hip-hop then you, you can read about people who like it and then also just the relationship between this squad of four girls is kind of similar to the you know, um, Lawrence and Hamilton and Lafayette and Hercules Mulligan, you could kind of compare them, except for they're not in a war. They're just in high school. It's pretty similar. (laughs) Yeah, that works as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Before I get to my pick from this section, I'm going to give a shout out to two books by Stephen Sondheim, Finishing the Hat and Look, I Made a Hat, which are books that he wrote about writing for musical theater. Sondheim is a huge, huge influence on Lynn, and he talks about it a lot. And if you've ever listened to a Lin-Manuel Miranda musical and listened to a Sondheim, Sondheim musical, that's probably pretty obvious. But it had I had to laugh at the titles because the that line about um look I made a hat is a line that Lin-Manuel really likes and has tweeted many times and references a lot and referenced in his freestyled Tony acceptance speech when he won for In the Heights but my actual recommendation for this section is something that colloquially is referred to as the Rent Bible I think the actual title is just Rent but it is a big black book 
that is filled with the entire libretto of Rent, as well as all sorts of behind the scene interviews and stories and photographs and information about the life of Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent and died tragically shortly before it opened, and the cast members and all sorts of things. Renata and I both had copies of this book as teenagers. Still have it, Kate. Still have them. Still have it. (laughs) (laughs) I still have mine, too. And Lynn specifically referenced this book when talking about why he was making the Hamilton book that we discussed in the last section, Um, that having this book and being able to look for it was great, especially look through it rather uh, was great, especially because, you know, he couldn't necessarily afford to go see shows all the time and that he wants to create something like that for fans of this show to have. And also Larson was a huge, huge influence on Lynn he says that seeing Rent was kind of what made him realize that you could write a show with your own music and put it on Broadway and that was a thing that you could do and uh he has won uh he won the award that was set up after Larson's death by his family and recently played Larson in his other musical Tick Tick Boom at a city center encores I think a summer ago or two summers ago so full circle and stuff very cool yeah and i like i had the rent bible uh years before i was able to actually go see the musical live and that experience and lynn has also talked about that's why it was so important to him to have a good cast recording for the same reason that he liked to listen to all these albums before he could see the musical and so i i feel that and appreciate that very much about him Yeah, I think that's a really, that's just so important because that's the way most fans are going to experience this musical. Right. And so like making these ancillary things that are really high quality and that people can truly enjoy and share together. That's just, that's super thoughtful. Yeah. He's just so good to us. He He is. is. He is. All right, um, we'll move on to our next section, Skill with the Quill, where we'll recommend comics and graphic novels for fans of Hamilton. I'm going to start off by recommending both volumes of Persepolis by Marjan Shatrapi. This is an autobiographical comic that is mostly done in black and white, I think actually entirely done in black and white, that is about her childhood in Iran and her going to France as a teenager and just you know, life under that regime and life trying to make a life of her own afterwards. And it's really honestly done. You know, it's very, there's there's parts of it that obviously, you know, are very personal to her. And uh, the art is really beautiful. And it's a great story. And the real core of it, I feel, has a lot in common with Hamilton. Um, and his desire to leave what he thought of as a restrictive environment where he couldn't bloom and, um, you know, trying to adjust to life in an adopted country afterwards. I totally co-sign that. I love Persepolis. Same. So good. And the movie, the movie's good, too. Yes, yes. I, I totally want to see that. And it's been in my Netflix queue forever. <laughs> One day. She actually, right around the time that it came out, um, she was a visiting lecturer at my college and came and talked about it. And we got to see, I think then we only got to see a part of it. But then, you know, later on, a bunch of us got it and watched it together. That's awesome. I I, want to reread those books. They're just excellent. 
my pick for this section is uh, two books by Kate Beaton, Hark, A Vagrant, and Step Aside, Pops, <laughs> um, which I really enjoy saying and have encouraged my daughter to say, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure will come back to bite <laughs> me. But um, it's really funny to hear a 10-year-old say, Step Aside, Pops. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so Kate Beaton, um, many of you probably already read her wonderful webcomic called Hark a Vagrant. But if you don't, uh, it's all the archives are available on her website. Um, but there's also two delightful books out, which are anthologies of her work. And um, it's a black and white comic usually either three or four panels. And the best way for me to describe it for people who are not yet familiar with it is that it is erudite as hell and <laughs> just loopy. Like she is so manages to take these pretty serious subjects. Like some of her most hilarious comics are about the French revolution, which is not funny. Like <laughs> it was awful and she just makes them like gut bustingly funny, like panting for breath, barely able to breathe. Oh my God. If I ever need a very cheap pick me up, I will just pick this book up and flip to almost any page and laugh really hard. She also has some great ones about the, um, about the founding fathers. Like mm -hmm. what if they came to an American mall today like how <laughs> crazy would that be and like ben franklin's in a food court trying to pick up girls it's just <laughs> nutty and sadly she missed the opportunity to include our beloved a dot ham in her roundup of, his, of notable historical alexanders but i feel confident that there's going to be some strips in the future that feature him because what a rich vein of material for her to mine right I will so say, delightful. not only do I co-sign these, but if you are on the Tumblers at all, someone has already taken the Nemesis comics that God she has bless done. them. Oh, my God. <laughs> about a, uh, a sea captain who uh, <laughs> keeps a photo of his nemesis with him all times and sleeps under a giant <laughs> portrait of his nemesis and has inserted Hamilton and Burr. So. Good. Oh, Correct. Yes. <laughs> Amen to all of that. I am... Dying a happy death right now. Right, uh, my pick is a graphic novel called 101 Artists to Listen to Before You Die by Ricardo Cavallo. It was recently translated from the Spanish, and it's it's just what it says in the title. Every artist gets a two-page spread with like a, a cool illustration of the artist and kind of just a page about um, a song that he would recommend or sometimes like his feelings about the art it's kind of it's just a cool narrative and there's a huge variety of musical artists in there and it's a lot of fun if you like music or want to come up with some new artists to listen to check it out now we will finish up this hamilton episode by playing a few games uh, because this is a special episode and we just want to mix it up a little bit we're going to differentiate from our normal games that we play if you have listened to other worst bestsellers episodes or just one and uh our first game we're gonna play is just if you could go back in time and do one thing with any hamilton associated person what would you do shall i go first go for it okay so i have two choices because i'm a horrible cheater mm -hmm. um my <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry. How dare you? I know. I know I'm, I'm the worst. Becca, just edit out one of these, but don't tell her which one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be listening to this and just like crying. How could she? <laughs> so selfishly, I would like to go back in time to see that Constitution ratification parade because I think that that was amazing. But I would try to make the right choice and go back in time to take with me like a very skilled internist and a full pharmacopoeia to treat Alexander Hamilton's various, very painful sounding kidney and digestive ailments. I just, reading those made me so sad for him. I just Mm. thought, oh, we could give him like a a really great quality of life upgrade if we could take care of some of those problems for him. It's true. Pretty much all of our founding fathers were just sick from dumb shit that you could cure at CVS. Yeah. (laughs) So sad. Come to the 21st century, guys. It's pretty great here. Yeah. say that totally like I think selfishly we would all like to go see the constitution ratification <laughs> free, oh which for those of you who haven't actually read the book yet you absolutely should but uh, FYI after Hamilton helped get New York to ratify the constitution the merchants of New York threw him a legit parade with like floats and like giant banners and songs and <laughs> It puts these silly little flimsy World Series parades to shame. (laughs) But he deserved it. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that was maybe one of the happiest days of his life. And I was like, I wish you could relive that day every day, man. (laughs) You deserve it. Yeah, they didn't even have videos. He just had to rely on like thought pictures. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Like a commoner. What the hell? Poor guy. Maybe that, and so then sad. you could you could bring him a video. Well, then he wouldn't really have like any way to play it. But. <laughs> oh my god! Now I'm thinking about what if he had an iPhone? <laughs> Just imagine that nerd on Instagram. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, there has been a lot of fan fiction already written about that. <laughs> <laughs> Please forward me links. I right. want to. Read <laughs> As usual, worst bestsellers endorses fan fiction for all your needs. <laughs> If you want to read fan fiction about Wolverine and the Rock seeing the Hamilton, there's two such two such pieces of fan fiction on the internet. Who knows where they came from? I don't I can't know. Imagine what fevered brains would have produced such things. But I want to tell those fevered brains that they are beautiful cinnamon rolls and thank them for their service. They'll be unanonymous by the time this episode goes up. Beautiful, beautiful. A grateful nation thanks you. Yeah, and if you want to read a hundred, probably what's going to be eighty to a hundred thousand words of modern ghost hunter Hamilton AU, I can hook you up with that. Kate, you are like a reincarnated Hamilton. You are so prolific. Oh my god, I'm so lazy. Mm, your word count disagrees, Kate. Yeah, yeah. I think facts I, do not support that thesis. I'm not. I'm not ballsy enough to challenge people to duels. Yeah, but you've sent mean ballsy. emails before. I have sent mean emails. <laughs> mean emails. Oh. That's the modern equivalent. It is. Oh, it definitely is. Anyway, if I could go back in time. I would just, I'm scared of doing anything too major because I'm very concerned about the butterfly effect and like all kinds of time travel shenanigans. 
And I, I know we stated that we sh- we didn't have to take that into consideration in this game, but I can't help it. The fear is Marvel has made that fear too deep in me. <laughs> One change could like fuck up your whole. I don't know. Anyway, it's true. your whole universe just oh. I could come back and like who even knows what I might come Sentinels back to. Sentinels are in charge, and everyone has the phalanx virus, and yeah, it's just. And so I would do something pretty low key, but I, I would just go back and I would babysit for all of Eliza's kids for like a day or so and just make her have a treat yourself day. Um, you know, I would bring back, I mean, I can't bring back money, I guess, but maybe I could just bring back like a gold doubloon. <laughs> sure. Step one, acquire gold doubloon on eBay. <laughs> Step two, time travel. Anyway, just, you know, use it to get her, like, fancy bubble bath or whatever the fuck she wants and just get her out of the house while I watch all of her eight children. Yeah. Maybe bring her some Starbucks. Yeah, totally. Oh, I bet she'd like that. Yeah. Like, or would be scared her... of it. I don't know. You could bring her, like, a really nice care package. Yeah. just from the... And also, honestly, I would probably bring, like, a teenager with me to help out with the babysitting because I don't think I could responsibly watch all those children myself. <laughs> but I would try for Eliza's sake. Yeah, and there's a pretty decent age spread. I feel like they, the older ones were probably fairly capable. That's true. That's true. All right. If I could go back in time and do one thing to a Hamilton-adjacent person, uh, it would be to punch William Dorr in the face repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kind of over and over again, maybe get like a good kidney blow in. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and just kind of shake Hamilton a little bit and be like this guy is the worst he's a garbage human don't talk to him anymore don't trust him with anything anymore um this is this guy was a bro of Hamilton's who despite the fact that Hamilton like did not have a ton of friends and was kind of like cagey with the ones he had and generally had very good tastes in other humans this guy was just the worst and he was like a speculator and a gambler and he like took money from people and Hamilton just kept trusting him and putting him in charge of things that then inevitably failed because he was a scumbag and he's the worst and I want to like kick him in the balls. And so you shall. Fair. Once we fire up our time machine. Yep. Yes. All right. Uh, reverse. If you could bring one Hamilton adjacent historical figure to the present and do one thing, what would you do? I would bring Alexander Hamilton forward in time to work with a really good occupational therapist, preferably the one that we know uh, who works with my daughter, um, and would I would pay her to teach him some really useful impulse control and executive function techniques so that he could get a grip on his honor trigger and just like <laughs> cool it with the duels already. Like I am up to the point in the Chernow book where the part that is funny but is also really sad where um he like it basically gets involved in a street brawl and like rounds on all these people who he's disagreeing with and challenges them all collectively and individually to fight and i'm just (laughs) like oh man don't no just don't don't do it please take some deep breaths with me and like gonna sit down drink this herbal tea take a nap like for god's sake please get a good get a good night's sleep you are gonna see these things so differently in the morning if you just get some rest 
and yeah, so that's that's my big intervention. Like there are so many points where I've just wanted to step in and be like, you have got to stop. And that's what I would like to do for him is to give him the tools so that he can have that thought himself. So like what age of Hamilton are you looking to bring forward? And oh, man, I had not even thought it through that carefully. I feel like if you bring him when he's like an orphan teenager, he might be extra receptive. And plus, you could give him like a little, little orphan hug. Yeah, probably oh, need it. buddy, he probably did need that. Like, oh, like his mom is dead and his dad is horrible and maybe not even his dad. Mm. Yes, there were many times where I thought that poor child just needs needs some caring adults, which he thankfully like did encounter in his life. Like the guy who was probably his biological father, Mr. Stevens, mm. you know, helped yeah. to support him. And then that um, the minister... Who yeah. evidently just charmed to death. <laughs> he was like, yes, let us raise money so that you may go to New York and be a new man. But um, yeah, it was not enough. I think that, yes, that would be the crucial period, that early adolescent period. Poor little guy. All right, I support that. But if I could bring one historical figure to the present, I'd bring um, a late-in-life Eliza to the future and take her to see Hamilton with me. That would be awesome. And then she would know that her work was worthwhile. Yes. And she would know that his legacy was secure. Mm -hmm. And that people people were still concerned about her as well. I would just like for her to see it. Yes. Although she might not... I feel like she was so genuinely self-effacing that she might think that that was like... Yeah, she probably would not be wild about the Reynolds pamphlet being sung. Oh, my God. You know, maybe maybe I could just sort of, like, take a step out. Take her to the bathroom at that point. Right, right, exactly. There you go. mm -hmm. That can be, it's like when you go to rent and everybody goes to the bathroom during, uh, I I should should tell tell you. you. I was just going to say that because that is how I measure time. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it would be exactly that. We would just hang out for a while and come back so she could see the end. Be cool. That would be beautiful. Um, so I initially had thought that I would want to uh, bring uh, Hamilton to the future to like give him a spa day and let it fit, make uh, and make him take a nap. But thinking about it now, I would take poor John Lawrence Aww. from mm-hmm. some time before his death, obviously, and bring him to the future and just like give him a fucking hug. Tell him his father is the worst. Yeah. Like, pet his hair, show him that gay marriage is legal, like, kind of help bolster his self-esteem and maybe take a page out of Sophie's book and get him to see a therapist to work on those suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think... I I mean, you could show him also slavery is over. Yeah, that too. too. That's important. He, he, yes. Never got to see that. But I just, I just want someone in his life to, you know, take care of him because he was not very good at taking care of himself. Aww. Yeah. Founding these, father babies. I know. These beautiful geniuses with their death wishes. Like, <laughs> that needs to stop. Yeah. All right. So that's what we'd do if we had a time machine. And hopefully yep. we would not create some kind of dark timeline in the process. Yeah, I mean, who needs to kill baby Hitler when you have all of these Hamilton-adjacent historical <laughs> figures to bring Starbucks to? Oh my god, right, exactly. yeah, don't, just leave baby Hitler alone, but cuddle baby Hamilton. 
Yes. Oh. Well, on that note, now let's play uh, Fuck, Mary Kill. Yep. Our first round is going to be Peggy, Angelica, Eliza. And just to clarify, are these the actual historical figures or they're the versions of them on stage? Because I have very different answers based on that. Um, I think we're going actual historical figures as okay. best we know them. All right. So, and one thing to keep in mind for this question, because based on the musical, like, we don't get a whole lot of Peggy, but in the biography and in other historical record, we see that Peggy is actually pretty awesome and knows her way around an axe, which is awesome. Very impressive. Yeah. But that said, I would probably still kill her. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Peggy. Hi, Peggy. (laughs) Oh, you deserve better. You do. I'm sorry this game is so reductive. And yet, not that sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'd marry Eliza and fuck Angelica. I don't really have to think that hard about those. Yes, that same. Same for me as well. All right, next up, Hercules Mulligan, Lafayette, and Lawrence. I think for this one, I would kill Hercules Mulligan. Sorry, bro. Bro. Fuck Lafayette. Mm. And... Mary Lawrence and you know once again pet his hair and tell him his father's a douchebag and that his life is worth living and not make him have sex with me if he wasn't into that because <laughs> I really wouldn't be into it either so that seems like a really solid arrangement actually yeah I think I'd kill Lafayette I think he would be okay with that he was really into the whole like soldier thing and so I don't know I think he was prepared to die young and also he abandoned his pregnant wife to come fight in a war for another country so I don't really want to become involved with him any further on a personal level probably so I think I would marry Lawrence for similar reasons and fuck Hercules Mulligan who's hopefully very surprising in the bedroom (laughs) (laughs) I I am gonna choose wow (laughs) I would drop my microphone, but it would make a really loud sound. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate thoughtfulness. (laughs) Um, I really think that that's my only option. Yeah. Yeah. I can't kill Lawrence. I I just can't. I feel like Hercules Mulligan would be very entertaining. And (laughs) Lafayette made some poor life choices and he deserves to pay. That's right. Sorry about it. Sorry, bro. <laughs> you can't kill Lawrence. He's already ready to do that himself. Like, right, just exactly. <sighs> and last round, Washington, Burr, and Hamilton. Mm, mm, Mary Washington, kill Burr, fuck Hamilton. I think, mm. I think mine is the same. Yeah, I think, because I think, I think Burr would be good in bed, but I can't kill Hamilton. Right. right. And so. apparently Hamilton was too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But also I could never marry him because there can only be one high-strung person in a relationship at a time, in my <laughs> opinion. And that is definitely me. So <laughs> like I basically already married a Washington and that is working out pretty well. So I'm just going to stick with that pattern. I might. I might marry Burr. And fuck Hamilton and kill Washington. Mm. I think Washington... Controversy. What? I was singing the Prince song, Controversy. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think Washington, I think it would be weird to be married. I mean, any of these, obviously, it would be weird. But he was, like, at the time, I mean, such a, like, godlike figure. It would just be weird, I think, to be married to him. And Burr, I mean, he was kind of garbagey and, like, but he was funny. And he was a good father, and proto-feminist. And a, right. I was just going to say that. Like, sort of a, definitely was into women's education and really and, respected the intellects of women that he knew. Right. And, and mean, like, it, he cheated on ladies a lot. But in the rules of the game, we're in a sexless marriage anyway. So I'm not that invested in his fidelity. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, maybe you could convince him not to kill Hamilton. Right. Yeah, I've got that in. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and then I'd have sex with Hamilton and just, like, make sure to tell him not to write a pamphlet about it, because that's not cool, (laughs) bro. (laughs) Just get, like, a a non-disclosure agreement, which he would honor because he was a person of honor. Oh, my God, yeah. When I time travel back for this fuck, Mary kill, I will bring my copy of Fifty Shades of Grey and just, like, copy out that contract. And Whoa. make him sign it. This took a turn. <laughs> well, I mean, not all the parts of it. I mean, we'd negotiate. But okay. there, like that includes a non-disclosure agreement and like yeah. some other stuff. Like, whatever. <laughs> anyway. everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> anyway, that's what we'd do. I feel like <laughs> and that's who we do. Oh, oh my god, Hamilton but wait. To fuck Hamilton with my copy of Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh my god. But we didn't even talk about our theory that they're all vampires. <laughs> which they are. Yes, everybody. <laughs> they're all vampires. Vampire lovers. Let's be specific. Come on. Yeah, this very elaborate theory. P.S. Hamilton and Lawrence are vampire lovers, and so they're not dead. They're just in hiding somewhere. Tweet me about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also how they could accomplish all the amazing, brave feats of daring do. Right. They didn't have to sleep because yeah. they were vampires. Yeah. And also they were super strong and super fast. That's why they appeared to be everywhere at once during the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The end. Yeah. I don't I don't even know why we're contesting this. Why no, anyone would. No, it, it is so <laughs> transparently historical fact and I don't know why the scholars are, like, trying to cover it up. Yeah, I think we just have to ask ourselves, like, who benefits from hiding this? Yeah. <laughs> it's white men. The New York Historical Society? Mm-hmm. What's their agenda? Yeah. We have questions. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We'll okay. submitting our FOIA request in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read all of it. <laughs> so, does anybody have anything else to say? about Hamilton because I don't think this can be topped frankly but just just asking anything else that we want to put out there um you should read this book I know that probably you're like why would I want to read an 800 page biography about a dead white guy but I swear you do yeah just do it just do it and if you find any good uh footnotes about him being a vampire definitely send it to us yeah, we want to know all about it. Right. Because, I mean, and I found, a lot, obviously, out of context clues, but I didn't find anywhere where Chernow explicitly cites vampirism, but maybe I missed something. It's definitely I mean, implied. Mm-hmm. Chernow does talk a lot about his beautiful pale complexion and how hot he was. Yes. So, his, you know. His, like, 
unparalleledly beautiful violet blue eyes. Like I'm just seeing like a young Elizabeth Taylor, but with like fair hair and and a, and a dude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who was extremely beautiful. I mean, it's just fact. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to us. Sophie, thank you for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure once again. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you can follow us as a podcast on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S, and you can like us on Facebook at Worst Bestseller spelled normally. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 across. You can follow me at Renata Snacks. You can follow me at Sophie Biblio. And you, you can should. follow Lynn Manuel Miranda at Lynn underscore Manuel, and you should be doing that. You should. Definitely. That will be a big life upgrade for you. Yep. He's delightful. You can follow Sophie's newsletter, Two Bossy Dames, at Two Bossy Dames. On That's Twitter. right. And you can subscribe at tinyletter.com slash Two Bossy Dames. And you can visit us on the web at worstbestsellers.com, where we'll have all of these and way more readers' advisory suggestions. Yeah, we seriously had entire lists for each so section much. and made ourselves only choose one. So One-ish. One-ish, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I apologize. I'm the worst offender. <laughs> um, you can also uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you do, please uh, rate and review us. It pops us up in the charts a little bit so that more people will see our podcast and subscribe to us and listen and, you know, embrace the Hamilton lifestyle that we have come to embody. And learn more about hashtag Vampam. Oh, wait, no, I mean Hampire. That was the hashtag you made up later. Hampire for life. Hampire, that's amazing. <laughs> All right, thank you for listening to this special bonus episode. Our next episode will be our end-of-year wrap-up part two, which will be our adult and graphic novel so- selections for the year. Woohoo! I can't wait. As a listener, let me speak to the listeners and say that the um, the year-end wrap-ups last year uh, are two of my favorite all-time episodes. Oh, thank you, Sophie. You're welcome. So I'm super looking forward to these ones. Yeah, every once in a while we like to talk about stuff that we like. Yeah. Just for variety. Just for variety. Just once in Keeping a while. Keeping it fresh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks, everybody, and bye. 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 Peak worst bestsellers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>